0: Good to be with you this morning. My name is Mark Duncan. Uh, I work with our students here at Harvest Winston-Salem. Uh, so they don't let me up here very often in the, uh, in the, big, the big podium. But uh, I'm excited to be here with you this morning, excited about what God has given me to share, because I think it impacts every aspect of our life as followers of Christ or people that claim to know Him, that it is this area of God's justice. Now, if you were here last week, you may remember Pastor Joel was here. Uh, from Vertical Church Charlotte. We definitely are thankful to have uh, their members with us here today. Um, And and Pastor Joel spoke on uh, the great weight of God's love and and how he reached out to sinners who were dead in their sin and, and, and miraculously, in his grace, made them alive. And what I want to propose to you today is that to truly have an understanding, a deep understanding of God's love in the fullness of what that entails, we have to have a complete, clear understanding of his justice as well. Because his justice is not, anti, you know, it's not, it's not against his love. Uh, it informs his love. It makes his love that much more beautiful as well. So we're going to be looking in the book of Isaiah, in, uh, chapter number 42. So if you've got a Bible or a phone or an iPad or whatever you've got, go ahead and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, I'm going to talk about this idea of God's justice. So let me ask you this. When you hear the word justice, what kind of emotions, what kind of connotations immediately come to mind when you hear that? I think it's probably a range of different things, right? Uh, for the person who has been wronged, justice is, is vindication, right? Like I've, I've received justice. For the person that has been caught you know, doing the wrong, uh, it, it might be a scary thing right? to think that justice may be served. You know, certainly we associate the word justice with our legal system, you know, and, and, a, and a, uh, a bunch of penalties and, and, and blessings that come through that a balancing of sorts, if you will. Uh, so what comes to your mind when you hear the word justice? I think you don't have to program that into, our, into kids, right? Like all of us sort of come preloaded with this concept of justice. If you don't believe me, here's a great way to test this at home uh, for those of you that have small children, okay? If you've got at least two children, all right, put a plate of cookies on the table between them, but put an odd number of cookies on the plate, okay? Then you're gonna have some fun in just about three minutes, okay? So you put three cookies on the plate, you got two kids, inevitably you're gonna hear those wonderful little words that we all hear as parents all too often. That's not fair, you know? Why did she get two and I got one? You know, are you the kind of parent maybe that you get the bag of Skittles and you have to like individually count them out to make sure ahead of time? You just sort of like, you know, cut your losses. You go ahead and just like preload that and get that out of the way. You don't have to program justice into children. You don't have to program that into people. You know why? Because God's word says in the book of Genesis that we are made in his image. All right? And part of that aspect is God's justice. Like there is a a sovereignly creator-ordained gift he is programmed, hardwired into our DNA for a sense of justice. We know when we have been wronged. It's not a matter of if. It's, it's very obvious. We can see injustice before us. We call it out for what it is, right? Like it's not something you have to train. It comes preloaded, you know? And so we're going to say for, the, for our purposes this morning, obviously justice is a very, it's a very broad category, right? Uh, it affects every different aspect of our life, you know, our community it affects how we respond to other people. It, expects, uh, it affects our relationships you know, individually uh, with other people. It affects you know, our life as, our, and human dignity, my justice, you know, justice for me. It affects, most importantly, spiritually, my relationship to God and His justice as well. So it's a broad topic. So for the all intents and purposes this morning, we're going to focus on what does God's justice mean for me individually and how should that kind of work its way out in that. So for the sake of that, this morning, our definition, our working definition for justice today, we're gonna say is, is justice is concern for keeping the balance of what is right and fair. Okay? It's concern for keeping the balance of what is right and fair. And we can all admit that there is a balance, right? Like there's a give and take. You know, again, if you Uh, You liken that to the justice system. Someone has done wrong, and they're brought before a judge. It's the judge's job to say, you've done wrong, and this is the way that we're going to make that right. Right? I mean, sometimes it's not really a fair payment for what has been done, is it? Uh, That's the problem that we see. Sometimes the sentence comes down, and while it may be an appropriate sentence for the crime, there are some aspects that are never truly going to make up for what was lost, Right? I remember the first time I became aware of injustice, all right? This is is going way back, okay? Uh, First grade, all right? Back in first grade. That was quite a few years ago for me. A lot more than you think. I know I look young. But first grade, I remember there was a girl, and her name was Margaret, okay? And Margaret was that little... Bratty type of girl, you know, with the pigtails and like a sour face, would always give you like, you know, stick out her tongue at you when the teacher wasn't looking type of deal. And she thought she ruled the classroom, okay? And so we would have free time. We have, you know, the ability to do whatever creative things we did. And so, you know, you'd, you'd be building something out of blocks or, or, or Legos or what have you. And she would come over and wait till the teacher wasn't looking. And then inevitably, she would just kick that thing over, you know? And then she would do that, this hideous little laugh, <laughs> you know? And then she'd turn around, flip the pigtails. And saunter off over here to torment somebody else. This was Margaret, okay? So you can imagine in first grade, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a vulnerable phase in your life, right? You're not used to the whole, like, bullying thing yet. Uh, this just, is just very strange. Why is Margaret kicking over my towers? You know, I worked really hard on that. And I, I wasn't a kid that had, like, a really bad temper that I can remember. You know, I think I was fairly easygoing. So first time, well, you know, let's be honest. I probably would have kicked it over too. But, you know, I'll build it again. She just made it her her mission in life, the first few weeks of school, to find every way possible to get under my skin, right? And so one day, one day, all right, it went too far. We were sitting in our rows, and and who knows why this happened? Margaret was always in front of me, okay? That made it even worse. She was the one that sat in front of me. Margaret turns around and does the whole, like, stick your tongue out thing. I don't remember what, what it was about. And I had it, okay? I was done, all right? She'd been building up to all this point. And so when she flipped that pump, that, uh, those pigtails back around one last time, you know what I did? I reached up and I yanked one as hard as I could, just like this, you know? And of course, you know what you get out of that when you pull a little girl's hair? There's the, I mean, you would have thought the building was coming down, the screaming that was coming out of that little girl's mouth. And of course, my teacher, Mrs. Gaskell was her name. It's an amazing name. She was like 87 years old, first grade teacher. And, and, you know, she couldn't even, I don't think she even saw what happened, but she saw and she heard this girl screaming over here. So she went up and said, oh, oh, dear, what's wrong? What's wrong? Mark pulled my hair. Oh, Mark, why did you, I didn't do anything to him. Mark, why did you pull her hair? Well, she, she, she stuck her tongue. She kicked over the, she, she, she. Mark, and this, this is a day that only happened once in my life. I can honestly say, Mark, go to the principal's office. That's right. First grade, I went to the principal's office, all right? I got you all beat, okay? I went to the principal's office. Principal sits me down, and has a, a nice chat about how we don't treat young ladies like that. We treat them with respect, and I'm like, I agree, but this is not a young lady, all right? <laughs> all right? This is, this is not a, this is not, this is not acting very ladylike here. Um, she said, she's, she's a demon, okay? <laughs> you don't understand how it goes, and, and so, you know, of course, what happens, I got the I got written up, I got a little note, had to take that home, and, and this is where it gets even worse, I take it home to my mom, okay, now your mom is supposed to have your back, right, that's how it's supposed to go down, okay, so I've got my paper, I didn't hide it in the backpack, right, I, was, I didn't feel like I had done anything wrong, I, I present, look, I got this today, I had to go to the principal's office, why did you do that, well, I pulled this girl's hair, but you don't understand, mom, like this girl has been trying her hardest to get at me ever since the first day of school. But why did you pull her her hair? But, Mom, you just don't get it. She's like, well, you're going to write that girl a note. I was like, I'm not going to write that girl a note. (laughs) She's like, yes, you are. You're going to write that girl a note. And we're going to go out to the store, and you're going to buy her some hair accessories, you know, because I'd mentioned, like, in the fact, like, I, I pulled it and her, and, like, her little bow thing had broken, or whatever. It's like, you're going to buy her a pack of hair. It says, I, ah. it's like, I will not, <laughs> you know, I'm not going, this is not right, okay, you don't understand. Yes, I did pull the hair. I am, I am guilty of doing that, but in the, the, the scheme of things, how many things have been happening to me, and so I went to school, and I had to hand that girl a note, I had to give her that pack of bows, and she just looked at me with the most smug look on her face, like, look what happened to you, and I, i tell you what, that day, I realized sometimes things are just not going to be fair, okay? Like that, that, there's no possible way that my teacher could have taken into account everything that happened. There's no possible way my mom could have taken everything into account that happened. But I knew, and it was personal to me, and I, and I saw injustice in that moment. I'd like to say that would be my last experience with injustice, I think we would all agree if, if that was the, the, the extent of our experience with injustice, that wouldn't be so bad. But I think, unfortunately, due to the amount of injustice we see around us, it makes it really hard to believe that there can actually be true, perfect justice that is fair. I mean, look, you see on the news, it doesn't take long, you know, senseless murders and wars that don't seem to end Corruption in elected officials and judges that subvert justice and employers who demonstrate favoritism in giving promotions or fire people because they don't want to give promotions. Pastors, even church leaders who deceive or abuse those that are in their care. You have horrible things like human trafficking in the world. Unbelievable injustice in humanity. Humanity. Racism, terrorism, verdicts that don't align with the evidence that's obviously been presented or, and sentences that are not fitting to the crime. Children who grew up without parents because their parents made stupid choices. It's not fair to the kids. See the systemic, systemic devaluing of human life in our society. This isn't political speech. This is Bible speech, abortion, assisted death, suicide are celebrated things in our culture. They're raised up as like a hallmark of a mature dis- society, that we should be about these things. Injustice abounds everywhere. I mean, it's no wonder that our hearts have been so callous to that. that even this week I saw on the news, and, and I, I'm still processing this, there were five teenagers, and I, you know, I love teenagers. I spend a lot of time with them, five teenagers, at a lake who watched a man drowning in the lake screaming for help and they didn't just stand there and, and not provide help they they first of all they were filming it live on Facebook while he was drowning and they were cursing at him calling him a fool for going out on the water to begin with and they were telling him they were they were telling him we are not going to help you and that man died and they went home like nothing had happened the world is screaming for justice. It's overwhelming. <laughs> that God given sense of justice that's imprinted on my heart, screaming, red alarm, red alarm, <laughs> the bells are, are screaming out. Maybe you can relate to that. You know, have you ever felt that? Can there actually be true, perfect justice in a world like this? Can that exist? It can. See, I started you off really low, okay? We're starting off down here, but I promise you, we're going to build because today, the focus of this sermon is finding joy in His justice. Finding joy in His justice. The systems of justice we put into place, they always leave someone out, they miss, all right? They, they get some aspects right, but not the whole thing. It's not comprehensive. What I want for us to remember today throughout the whole thing is kind of one thing we're going to focus on the whole sermon. is perfect justice cannot be produced by anyone or anything that has ever contributed to injustice. Do you hear that? Perfect justice cannot be produced by anyone or anything that has ever contributed to injustice. That leaves us with very limited options, doesn't it? Because all of us are touched with that. James 4.12 says there's only one lawgiver and one judge, he who is able to save and destroy. That lawgiver, that judge, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he alone is our only hope for justice, the justice that our hearts are yearning for. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 42. We're going to jump into this. These are three reasons today for joy found in God's perfect justice. Three reasons for joy found in God's perfect justice. That's what it says in verse 1. Behold, my servant His law. The first thing today, first reason for joy found in God's perfect justice today is that God's solution to injustice is not a system, but a someone. All right? God's solution for injustice is not a better system, but it's found in a person. It's found in an individual. And, and Isaiah here, you may not know, he is a prophet. He was a prophet during the, the, in the kingdom of Judah, or the kingdom of Israel had been split into two parts at this point, in the Old Testament, the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. Isaiah was, was in, the, in the southern kingdom of Judah. And what you may not know in that, there was a whole period of kings during that time who came to power, who did not follow after, you know, follow after the Lord, even though they knew the history. Sometimes they would start off good on the right foot, right? They would they would, try to, they would make some reforms, they would change. But inevitably, they would fall back into idolatry, back into sin, back into pride. And as a result, the whole nation would suffer from that sin. So Isaiah is going to a people who, in his own words, ha- don't have ears to hear. Like they aren't listening. They're deaf and they're dumb. They don't realize what they're building is they're, they're, they're pulling God's wrath. God's judgment is going to come upon him. As God is a just, fair God. Right, he cannot overlook the sin that's happened. Like to do so would, would by in very definition, disqualify him as being just. If he just said, well, it's not that big of a deal. Isaiah's like, you don't realize what you're doing. You're storing up justice and right in the middle of that right in the middle of that, this message of the book of Isaiah you have these, these passages, these chapters around uh, chapter 42 called the servant songs, right? Now they're not actual songs, there's no history that they were ever saying. I'm not sure who came up with the name calling them a song but there's these passages there's passages about a, a servant that was going to come in spite of the unfaithfulness right? this is when they are unfaithful in spite of the unfaithfulness, he's going to come, and he will do justice. He will see justice served, despite their unfaithfulness. God announces his solution for the injustice that has been done against him. His servant, see, hundred of years before his time, Isaiah was describing Jesus Christ. Very clear parallels to Jesus Christ. In fact, it's, this passage is actually quoted again in the book of Matthew, as you know, a direct tie-in to Jesus. But the thing that's encouraging to you and I today about this, he's not just talking to the people of Judah in this passage. Look what it says in verse 1, uh, verse one, one again. He says, He will bring forth justice to the nations. That's plural, all right? That's not just, He's going to give you justice, Judah. See, they, they experienced a lot of pain. You know, they didn't understand why they were getting invaded. You know, God's like, You're not listening to me. That's why. Like, I'm trying to get your attention. Are you going to turn? Or are you going to respond? Like, but it's, it's, they're crying out, help us, help us, save us. He's like, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to save all the nations. I'm going to do this a one-time-for-all one type of deal. I'm going to send my servants. See, God was right and just to address their sin, their, their unfaithfulness. But at the same time, he was right and just and in his mercy to give them away, to not have to carry the penalty of the rightfully earned judgment that they had earned. And that's true for every person that's been on the face of the earth. Jesus didn't just come for the people of Israel. He came for all peoples. Because all of us have committed injustice against God. We talked about that last week. We were dead in our sin, right? We have violated the justice of a holy God. We stand accused. We were under judgment. I thought of something you could probably relate to in this. You ever get in trouble when you're at home with your mom as a kid? I mean, like, not the trouble, like, sit in the corner for five minutes or whatever, you know, have some quiet time, but, like, the really bad kind, you know, that's, you know it's, it's going to go down. And, and your mom, you know, is in a straight face, kind of holding back the, uh, the, the anger of the moment, you know, it's just kind of like, you just wait till your father gets here. You ever had that experience, right? I don't know if you, how things run in your house, but if that, if those words were uttered, like it was like, oh man, I'm going to die, you know? If it's so bad that my mom doesn't feel like she should address that right now, that we should save that one for later, you know, so that we can both deal with that, that's not good for me, right? Like, you know, you—it doesn't matter. It could be like, ele- you know, 11 in the morning. I've got to like five. Dad's gonna come home. The whole day I'm just thinking oh, what's gonna happen when Dad comes home. You know, maybe I'll try to do something to make him not as mad at me, and you know, I'm going to go clean up his office, you know, and they feel he'll be happy with me then when he comes here will lessen it. Right? It's, it's that cloud of, like, impending doom is over me, right? In a more serious context, like, that is us. You know, before Christ, we, we have this cloud, this judgment that is hanging over us. It's looming there. And God is not holding it back, you know, because he doesn't think that it's important to address. He's, he's holding it back in mercy, but it's there. And it's a weight that's over us. He, can't, he cannot overlook that. And God can't just say, all right, your sin is not that bad, so you get a pass. Like, where would he draw the line on that? You ever thought about that? A lot of people have issue with God's justice because they're kind of like, well, I'm not that really that bad of a person, so I don't think that that's fair. Like, where do you draw the line of what sin is fair to commit that God should overlook? Like you can't. If God did that, he can no longer be qualified to judge. Do you see? Like he has to address that. We are under the judgment. No one or nothing that's out of balance in righteousness between man and God can correct an imbalance. What I mean by that, anyone that has been tainted by injustice, sin against God, is not worthy. You can't set the balance right. right? It's It's never going to work out. That perfect justice cannot be produced by anyone or anything that's ever contributed to injustice. And so in knowing that, God says, I have a solution he says, Behold, my servant. Look at that word, behold. Uh, It's really, our English Bible does not do that justice. Uh, If we really wanted to put, maybe translate that in the best possible, like, up-to-date modern way, uh, first of all, it would be, like, you know, 18 times bigger than the rest of the passage, and it would have, like, 37 exclamation points on the end, and, like, 50 of those 100 emojis, you know, at the end of that, okay? Like, it's like, this is a big deal. Like, it's not just kind of like, oh, behold, there's my servant. It's like, Behold, you have never seen this before. You have, never, you have never had this option before. This is my solution to your problem. My servant. It scared you there, didn't you? Trying to keep you on your toes. My servant. What does he say about him? He's my servant who I uphold. Like he has my backing. All right. He has my authority. I, he's my chosen. I chose him for this. Like I chose him for this mission. It wasn't an afterthought. Like I chose. To give you my son to make things right between you and me. That was my choice. I chose him. In whom my soul delights. Why does he delight in Jesus? Because Jesus is just like he is. Jesus has never broke the law. Jesus never violated the, a holy God. Jesus never committed injustice. He was fair. He was honest. He did what he said he would do. He was perfect. My soul delights in him. You might remember when Jesus was baptized, right? And he came up out of the water, and then a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, and what do you say? With whom I am well pleased. I'm delighted in him, and you, I will put my spirit upon him. He comes with my values, my power, my mission. He comes in my name. He will bring justice for the nations. And so why the, the holy judge sits in court and, and proclaims, There is judgment over your head. At the same time, he says, this is my servant who is going to take that judgment for you. If you'll but believe, if you'll put your faith in him. This world needs this servant. This generation needs Jesus. his chosen servant was chosen to die for the sins of the nations to right the biggest injustice of all of history. Sin between man and a holy God. God will have his justice. The question is, will the servant become the savior? God is going to have his justice either way. That's only fair. The question is, will the servant become your savior? Is he your savior? It's not a system, a man-made system on earth that can solve a debt to a holy God. It's impossible. Every system that we have for justice is corrupted in some, in some way, or it's incomplete, you know, at best. But for those of us that believe that this servant came to die for me, to take my debt of judgment, to right the injustice that I committed, for those of us that believe that, that's a great, that's, a, that's joyful. Like, judgment is not a cloud hanging over my head anymore. I'm free. Like, I'm not free. I don't have to worry about that anymore. That's taken care of because I put my faith in Jesus Christ to be justice on my behalf. We're not under that judgment, but it continues to get better. This is the second thing today. God's perfect justice is not detached from his personal compassion. God's personal justice is not detached from his personal compassion. Look at verse number two. He continues, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice, okay? This, this picture of not crying aloud or lifting up his voice in the streets, that harkens back to a time where an invading king would come in with as big of an army as he could muster up all the horses, all the chariots, and all of that stuff that you want to have to look important. And he'd come right in the center of town and make his voice heard that, I am taking over this town. You know, fear me, I am now your new king, all right? That was how you demonstrated power in that time, Okay? In some ways, that's how we still demonstrate power, right? The biggest army, that's that's a common thing. If I've got the biggest army, the best technology, I feel pretty safe. They did as well. In fact, a lot of the kings of Judah got into trouble with God because even though God told them, I got your back, I'm going to take care of you, they're like, well, that's good, God, but just in case, I'm going to build up a little reserve army over here. I'm going to hire some people from over here to work for us. And God's like, why? I've got your back. So God's saying he's not going to come and cry aloud in the street and lift up his voice. He's not going to be the king that comes empowered with, with armies to show force. They're like, what? What kind of servant is that? Like, what kind of savior is that, God? Like, that's not the savior that we want. Don't you know that we're oppressed? Don't you know what we have to live through day by day? I don't want a, a humble servant that's coming there that's not going to make his name. No, I'm like, why can't he broadcast that a little bit? Let him know we've got a savior they didn't want that, right? And even though it said this in Isaiah, what's ironic is when Jesus did come many years later, they still didn't realize it. They're like, well, the Messiah is supposed to come, and he's supposed to come and like, take out, to kick out these Romans. right? That was the army back then. Like, he's going to come in and and like, kick out the Romans and set things right. Did you read Isaiah? That's not his game plan. What is his game plan? It's not a conquering, coming in as a conquering king that first time, right? See, only a servant king could be a compassionate king. Look what he says, a a bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. Man, I could do a sermon just on that itself, right? That's heavy. That's amazing. You know, we don't really have a lot of experience with reeds and wicks probably much these days, but just to put it in context, a reed back then, you might use it to build a boat, you know, a basket, some sort of, like, light structure. Like, if you're going through, like, the reeds, like, trying to pick some good ones to build your boat, if there's one that's sort of got, got been beat up a little bit, you're not going to probably pick that one, right? Because it's like, I don't want my boat to be compromised. I want to get in a boat that's got this bruised reed. That might, it might have a hole in the boat, you know, when I'm out fishing. You wouldn't pick that one, right? And no one's going to go for the lamp that's got a wick that's just sort of, like, smoking. Like, what's the point in that? Yeah, that's not going to give me any light in the dark if I've got a smoldering wick. And so a lot of the people of Judah maybe felt very, very close to that in the sense that they didn't feel like they had much to offer anymore. They felt like there was nothing left to take from them. Right? The reed had been bruised. And I don't know where you are this morning. But I can almost with 100% clear, you know, assurance believe that at some point you have identified with that as well. With the injustice that's around you, the personal injustice that's happened to you, with the things that you've seen and experienced, that you have felt like a bruised reed, bent over in the wind, just barely hanging on. Or you felt like that lamp. The light's still lit, but it feels like it's just about to go out. See, God and his, God and his justice... and maybe separated from his compassion, would just be like, well, you know what? You got what you deserved. Cut you off. And honestly, we really couldn't blame him for that. Right? That's fair. What God is demonstrating to his people here through this servant is, that's not my game plan. That's not how I operate. I am fair and just. I don't overlook that. But I'm a God of compassion. I see the bruises. I know where they came from. You know, in our cynical questioning sometimes, we say, Well, God, if you see them, why did you let them happen in the first place? Right? That question, why would a good God let bad things happen to his people? If God is good, why would he let something bad happen in my life? There can't be a God because I just keep feeling all this bad stuff. Let me ask you this question. If God would not spare his own son from being bruised... His perfect son that had never committed injustice. Why? Why would he not spare you? Why would he spare you from it? Just ask yourself that question. If he wouldn't spare Jesus from suffering, from being bruised, why would he spare you? That has to mean that he has a point in letting it happen, right? See, God doesn't see people like we see people. And we see a a person that's been over that's weak, that's been uh, knocked down, from, from the cares of this life, from injustice that they've experienced, and we're like, man, there's no hope for them. You know, or worse, you know, we give them a pat on the back and just say, buck up, buttercup, it's going to be better tomorrow. It means well. See, God sees the bruised reed standing there amongst the others, and it's not like he's like, well, I've got nine, I need one more, I guess I have to take that one. He's like, that's the one. That's the one I want. You know why? The bruised reed understands desperation. The bruised reed understands that the only way that they are going to make it through injustice, through the cares of this life, is if they are firmly rooted in something else that's stronger. See, the bruised reed is still in the ground. It's still connected to the life-giving sources, keeping it alive. The faintly burning wick—it's still burning. God knows I can t- I can use that. Right, this bruising isn't isn't you know de- you know it's not taking them out of the picture. It's making them more usable to me. And He values that. He He doesn't minimize the pain. Doesn't minimize the injustice. He just says, I can use that because they're going to grab onto me. Any of you guys gardeners in here grow tomatoes? I've had like really good tomatoes this year, by the way. I don't know about you. But um, one thing you have to do with tomatoes at a certain point, if you've never grown one, is when they get tall, you have to do something then to keep it growing, right? What do you, put, what do you attach the tomato plant to? You have a stake, right? You put a stake in the ground, and that stake does what for that tomato plant? It provides support, Right? Otherwise, the tomato plant's going to get big. It's going to get fruit on it that's, that's coming. And then it's going to bend over and it's going to break. And so to, to provide support, it has to be lashed to that stake. You know, that bruised reed. God's like, I can work with that. I'm going to lash it to myself. And the justice I have afforded them in Jesus, if they will stay close to me. They will be stronger than they ever could have been standing on their own. It isn't cast off people because they're wounded because they're hurt because they've made some mistakes he's looking for that heart of desperation that heart of the bruised reed that says i can't do it on my own now i think of luke chapter 8 where the woman that had the issue of blood you familiar with that story she was there it was a big crowd of people standing around jesus you know, and, and the disciples, they're just, like, loving every minute of it. Like, this is the, the part of Jesus' ministry where he's, like, really popular, okay? And so the disciples are like, this is awesome. Back in the back, there's this woman that has this issue of blood. And you've got to understand something. Like, everyone knew, all right, there was no, like, doctor-patient privilege back then, okay? Uh, everyone knew that this lady had something going on. And to make matters worse, it was an issue of blood. I don't know, can't give you the medical explanation for what that means, but generally speaking, if anything had to do with blood uh, in that culture, you were considered to be an unclean person. You didn't want to hang around that person. They might defile you by touching that blood, and then you'd have to go to the temple, and you'd have to ceremonially wash yourself and make a sacrifice because you touched blood. So no one wanted to have anything to do with this woman, and she knew that. She was a bruised reed. and She was hanging out in the background, And she saw Jesus coming. And she's like, This is my only chance. There's no way Jesus would stop and be seen with me. There's no way his disciples are gonna let me get close enough to him to have a conversation. If I can just force my way through, and remember, she's gonna probably get yelled at by some people, she's gonna get cursed at for touching people as she's going through the crowd. She doesn't care. She's like, If I can just touch the back of his robe, I will be healed. And she does it, and instantly she's healed. Right, and so people are going, and Jesus is like, "Who touched me?" And disciples are like, "Um, "Jesus, there's a lot of people around here. You may not have noticed. Everyone's touching you. Okay, it's sort of the thing to do." And he's like, "Who touched me?" And he found the woman. He brought her near. He said, "You've been healed." Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Jesus had time for that bruised reed of a woman who carried this sickness through her whole life and in a moment of desperation reached out and took what she could of him. And he made her whole. He'll be faithful to the bruised reed, the faintly burning wick that's in here this morning. He's not uncomfortable with your history. not uncomfortable with your pain. He's not uncomfortable with the thoughts that you're struggling with. But he wants you to know today that he has compassion. He would not have sent Jesus had he not been a God of compassion, a God of love. See, his justice and and love, they are intertwined. He will address the injustice against you personally. That's That's the beauty of the promise. Like it's not going unseen. He sees it all. He knows what's happened to you. Jesus said, come to me all who are, you who are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you leaning on him today? As the brews read, you know, though effects of sin press on all sides and injustice seems to be everywhere, that heart that approaches him in humility and desperation will find mercy in the court of God's Justice. Let the bruising that we're experiencing be what drives you into his arms. See, the inevitable question about all that is if he cares about me personally, if he doesn't overlook injustice, not even one bit, why doesn't he end it all now? Right? Isn't that the question you want to ask? Like, okay, I believe that Jesus is my justice between me and God. I believe that he's compassionate, that he feels. Would I feel that He cares? But if He has the ability to stop it, oh, well, why doesn't He stop it now? Is that not—that's a legitimate question, right? That's one we've thought about. Why do He let horrible things come on the news that I have to think about and process? Why does He let that continue if He could stop it just now? I have an illustration. I think maybe sort of comes close. I said, "There's a fire in an apartment building downtown." I said the firefighters get there, and right out of the gate, they save a good portion of the people on the bottom part of the building. And they're standing out in front of the building, they've got a blanket on, they've got some water, they're waiting. And the thing is that the firefighters have their trucks, They and they even have... Let's say they have a new type of technology that has an instant solution to put out all the fire in the building at once. But the problem is, is that in doing so, it would also remove all the oxygen in the building, which would thereby kill the people that have not been rescued yet on the top floor. What a choice to make, right? Should the firefighter stop his rescue plan of going in the building At all cost to himself, by the way, through the fire to get. Should he stop that method of rescue because the people on the ground are suffering from smoke inhalation? Who are we to say? Who are we to say that God should stop rescuing people from their sin? Who are we to make that call? The very sense of justice that was put into us, we accuse him with. You're unjust. You're letting me live in this world that is terrible. When you could fix the problem, he's like, there's still people in the building. I'm going after them. That's the last thing today, really quickly. God's final justice is not delayed. It is determined. It's not delayed. It is Determined, verse number four, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands. Wait for his laws. He is not done until it's all done. His justice will reign someday over every corner of this earth, and the coastlands, every place on earth, will be ready and, and excited to receive his laws with all joy. Jesus is coming back. That's a joyful promise we have for those that know him. He came the first time as the humble servant, the servant that obeyed the Father, and went to the cross on our behalf. He will come again to set all things right. And justice will be served once and for all. But until that time, he is waiting, not because he is incapable, but because he is demonstrating mercy. On those that do not yet know. Someday there will be justice in all the earth. Someday, the King will return. You know, in Peter's day, that they were asking the same kind of questions: Why doesn't He come back now? Okay, like I mean, Jesus has been gone a while. Couldn't He just come back now? Like, why do we have to suffer through what we're going through? Why do we have to be persecuted? Second Peter three. 8 and 9, you know, he, Peter answers him and says, Do not overlook this fact, beloved. The, the, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God does not wish that anyone would reject Jesus Christ. God does not wish that anyone would have to stand before him on their own account and try to give an account for the injustice that they've committed against the holy God. God does not want that for anyone. He's giving time for people's hearts to turn to see the beauty of that servant Jesus. It's an act of mercy. It's not an act of negligence. This is love. This is mercy the justice of God is a beautiful thing. I mean, certainly we cannot cover the breadth of that, you know, in our time together this morning. But it is comprehensive; it covers every aspect of our life. It's personal to me. It's now, and it's not yet as well. Someday it will be complete. But there is much joy in knowing that I can be without under the the shadow of judgment because of the servant Jesus Christ if I put my faith and trust in him. It is with joy to know that God doesn't see my, my bruising and find that to be a sign of weakness, that he sees a sign of desperation and knows I can do something with that. It's beautiful to know that he does have a plan. He will come back and set it all right. When God says something, he does it. God doesn't feel the need to be like, Now, I've told you I'm coming back, but let me give you like a brief history of all the reasons why you can trust that statement. He just says, I will come back. So what about now? All right? It's not the not yet part. We're still waiting on that perfect final justice to come. What do we do now? As people that follow Jesus, one, we can usher in God's presence every day in our lives, right? We can go ahead and start that process now. We don't have to wait. You know the way that we live our life we can be concerned about other people's needs right justice is is being concerned about the balance between what is good and fair we can show concern about other people we could be an instrument of mercy in our jobs in our community using our influence to show mercy that's a that's a distinctly god thing pure mercy Maybe people who treat others fairly and seek to right wrong, stand for the oppressed, feed the hungry, protect the vulnerable. Those are things that people understand God's justice do. This world needs Jesus, but you know what this world also needs? This world needs Christians who really believe that this world needs Jesus. You know, When I'm in the midst of being bruised, I'm not complaining about God and what he's letting me go through. I'm not looking for other solutions, systems in the world around me to make things right. My hope is in him alone. That's what this world needs to see. That's what's attractive. Lean into his promises when you are the one being bruised and point people to the servant, the perfect servant, the chosen servant, Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads for a minute? I know it's a lot to take in. Like I said, justice is a broad topic. And I don't know your individual specifics of how you've experienced injustice. I just know that we all have in some level. We see it all around us. I wish that incident with Margaret in first grade was my only taste of that. But sadly, my own injustice against God far outweighs any action she took. I needed someone to right the wrongs that I committed. Someone that's not tainted by the same problem that I had and sin, Jesus, the chosen servant, is my justice, my Savior today. And I hope that you can say the same as well.